Hello and welcome to the Dark Weeb with uh, Cody Ziegler and Brody Reed. I'm uh, grooving out so much right now. I know, it's a very groovy <laughs> intro. Yeah. I'm glad we picked it. I'm going to be all ears, I'm, like <laughs> smiling all ears yeah. like, every time I hear it. People couldn't see me doing this way. Also, I still love that we have a rhyming scheme with our intros. Yeah, I'll never let go of the rhyming scheme. I'm definitely going to add more rhymes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very easy thing to rhyme. Yeah. Dark Weeb with Cody Ziegler and Brody Reed. <laughs> um, don't leave us on Reed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to that text. Yeah. <laughs> Everything you need for anime and uh, weeds. Weed. And dweebs. Yeah. Yeah, and weed. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, today we have a very special uh, guest. Um, we're glad to have him on our podcast. We've both been on his podcast Numerous so much. Times, yeah. Um, yeah. Please welcome Zed Cutsinger. How's it going, Zed? Good. Yeah. I'm so excited to be in an opportunity to talk about movie-related things. Yes. <laughs> and um, that's very rare from you from your podcast. Yeah. yeah. It's a real break. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Zed has a podcast called Views from the Vista with uh, Steve Hernandez and Honor Nezzo. And even though we live in the movie capital, capital of the world, I think, Zed, you watch more movies than anyone I know, period. Yeah. Uh, I, it's possible. How uh, many have you watched in the last 24 hours? I think four or five. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Zed had like a Twitter thread of like the was it City? What was the what was the, the the trilogy you watched? The Japanese trilogy? Oh, On Fire by uh, uh, Ringo Lamb. Yeah, yeah. I saw a Twitter thread. It was just like the first one, then the sequel, then the sequel to that, and then <laughs> Zed's thoughts on like how good the title sequences were for the movie. And then you watched uh, you watched uh, uh, didn't you watch a Hitchcock film after that? Uh, I, I watched. Uh, what was it Dangerous Encounters of the the First Kind, which is another uh, like Hong Kong movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of movies. <laughs> I'm sure Hitchcock was somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, I, Honor was gone, and I was like, all right, this is my time to do what I want. Yeah. Boys will be boys. Yeah. <laughs> when the honors away, Zed will play. Uh, we'll play the DVD button and watch what's on it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. This is a good way to get into what we've been <laughs> into recently. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those? What are those trilogy of movies that you watch called? Uh, it was on. It's called the On Fire trilogy by uh, Hong Kong director Ringo Lam. Cool. Mm-hmm. What kind of genre is it? Uh, they're all kind of different because there's Prison on Fire, which is like a prison drama. Mm-hmm. Um, there's School on Fire, which is like a coming of age, but mixed with like gangster stuff going on in Hong Kong. So kind of cool. like the Outsiders or. A more violent, uh, love delinquent yeah. stuff. Yeah. Getting really yeah. into oh, delinquent so stuff. This. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then there was uh, City on Fire, which is like about undercover cops. Uh, two of these star Chow Yun Fat, which is like one of my favorites, uh-huh. and yeah. also uh, Tarantino took the last fifteen minutes of City on Fire and made Reservoir Dogs out of it. Did uh, mm. did did you know that going into it? Yeah, because so, I this is one of my favorite things is to watch a movie and being like, oh, this is where Tarantino got this from. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so th- they're all very different, but it's all like him being kind of unsure about, I guess, the state of law and just uh, order in Hong Kong at the time, mm-hmm. uh, Ringo Lam, and just being like kind of hating uh, uh, the establishment. And there's just a mm-hmm. lot of, you watch this, you're like, ooh, this guy was really stressed out. <laughs> How did you find out about this trilogy? Was it like just a deep dive or you just, did you know I thought about it was it a tetralogy. Isn't Man on Fire one of them? Denzel Washington? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, th- I think that might be loosely connected uh, okay. by, by a few flames or something. Yeah. Uh, so at the New Beverly, I, uh, Honor was out of town. So, you know, mm. I went to the New Beverly and <laughs> there's this uh, guy there who I guess he worked in New York City 
and just has all these 35 millimeter prints from when he used to work at theater, uh, theater in New York where they had tons of like Hong Kong films. Mm-hmm. This is what someone was telling me. I think his name's Brian. So uh, they did a double feature on Tuesday where they had Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind and School on Fire. And I was not familiar with these movies. Okay. I saw School on Fire and I was like, oh, this guy's oh, awesome. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. And so then I uh, went into it further. Um, yeah, as I've been watching more movies, I'm trying to get more familiar with, you know, cinema from many different countries. And China, I've seen a lot of art house uh, movies from there, but I'm not as familiar with the more like grisly John Woo, mm-hmm. Johnny uh, Toe, and uh, Ringo Lamb style. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to get more into that. Yeah, I had a big um, a, a, a phase in when I was in film school that like I was getting really into like Japanese cinema, but like specifically like Japanese paracinema. Like I did like um, like Prisoner Seven Hundred One Scorpion and oh yeah for sure Doki Body Snatcher for Harold and like uh-huh. did all like the Lone Wolf and Cub and like oh yeah Lady um, Snowblood Lady Snowblood yeah yeah it's such a like it's such an interesting uh, genre and they like they take so many wild swings in the best way possible and they're so stylized yeah it's very interesting seeing them compared to like contemporary cinema of the time being like wow these guys are like these well these people were like 15 20 years ahead of like the curve when it comes mm-hmm. to like style and just making like dope shit on screen absolutely um one of my favorite like series from japan is uh battles without honor and humanity um Ooh, I heard of that. yeah i love just like any 70s cinema like period mm-hmm. and uh people talk about what people were doing in america like during the 70s but like they were doing just as much shit in japan at the same time they were pumping out movies that were just um so battles without honor and humanity mm-hmm. is like the japanese version of um uh of the godfather series oh wow there's like six of them and they were all made in within like a two-year period like they just like crank these movies out what, they're what so year fun were you, did you say? um i gotta look it up mm. but i think you know like 72 73 oh, something like that i'm already with it yeah <laughs> I'm already with that. It's great. What were you? What have you been up to since I last saw you coding? Uh, I've, uh, I've, I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm still gaming. You got to hashtag keep gaming, you know. <laughs> got to oh, keep yeah. gaming. Yeah, keep Same. gaming. I'm, uh, I don't know if anyone player plays like Destiny or the Destiny like looter shooters, uh-huh. but I've been playing a lot of Destiny too, and it's one of those things where uh, it, it gets me with two things that I like. One. I'm a space boy. I like science fiction. Mm-hmm. Give me some ships. I'm there. Uh, two, you can like customize your character. So like I've created uh, like uh, my my thought process. I'm going to make like a, a space cowboy because I love cowboy bebop. <laughs> but also I'm going to give him a sword because I'm a ninja boy at heart too. So like I've been playing, I've been like shooting up a lot of people with my six shooter and cutting them down with my katana. I've been doing that a lot lately. And also I've been uh, uh, getting back into Baki the Grappler. Like mm-hmm. it's finally... Season two is back on on Netflix, okay. and it's a it's a very dumb show <laughs> in the best way possible. It's the most violent show I've ever seen. It's probably. incredibly violent. Also, the like it's a show that's all about fighting, but there's very actual little animated fighting. Fighting is <laughs> just like someone will throw a punch, and then the narrative detail like, and for thousands of years, Kempo fighters would study the art of this, this, and this, and like it's just narration <laughs> over someone like throwing a punch with like little effects all over it. But yeah, and then someone gets their arm chopped yeah, off. Yeah, they get their arm chopped off, but then they come back and they start fighting again. It's like so dumb and so stupid, and I love it. And I've also, uh, like Zed, I've been watching the new season of One Punch Man. Oh, it's so good. Such a good series. I haven't watched any season at all. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Are you saving it up? or are you- I, I guess I'm saving it up. Um, I have just finished the second season of um, uh, Mob Psycho 100. And mm-hmm. uh, I like 
I like the creator of that show a lot. Um, yeah. One of my biggest gripes about the second season of Mob Psycho was that like the first season was just this kind of like exploration of like what is it like to be all powerful and then to like give that up and then try to like win friends with your own merit. And I really like that kind of like energy to it. And yeah. then at the end of the season, like it got a little bit more into just like regular kind of like battle anime, like a, mm-hmm. like oh. if like the someone with the powers from Akira and then they all just like fought each other. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's kind of like a cool way to like end the season. And then the second season like is a little bit more of that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I kind of want to return to more of like the character driven stuff yeah, rather yeah. than these just like random like haircuts fighting with superpowers <laughs> like I don't. <laughs> yeah, I will say that that's something that I'm really enjoying about the second season of One Punch Man is that uh, like Saitama is not doing any fighting, and so when he does do oh, any excellent. type, of, when he does any type of action, it's instantly funny. Like uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but there is a character that's introduced that's like the big bad for the season, mm-hmm. and he's just whooping ass left and right. And uh, he just happens to come across Saitama while he's like shopping in like the district, and he does like an ultimate move on him, and it has no effect on Saitama. And Saitama just like <laughs> like lightly taps him on the shoulder, and he gets knocked out for the rest of the episode. And it's like it's such a funny thing because you spend three episodes not watching him do any type of action at all, and then he has like a twenty, a, maybe a five second interaction with this character. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that yeah. is still happening. <laughs> I mean, I guess this season he's getting more into gaming. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did, spending a lot of time like, <laughs> oh, I cannot wait <laughs> gaming with other heroes. It's very fun. Uh, um, also, Attack on Titan just uh, the premiered back again. Oh, um, yeah, the continuation of wow. this season. I've only there's only one episode out so far. We'll talk about it a lot more in the future, but uh, it's starting off with a bang. So I'm yeah. really excited about yeah. that. Uh, what about what about you two? What are you guys watching right now? I haven't been watching so much this week. I'm uh, house sitting this week. I'm taking care of a turtle and a cat. Oh, did you find the cat by the way? Um, I found the cat. All the right. cat was like straight up missing for two days, um, where I did not wow. see it. It was not eating food or drinking water, and I like literally tore up every inch of the house looking for the cat. And I like called my friends. I was like, I think it got away. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then like uh, I, I randomly saw it. Uh, at like two o'clock in the morning, like slinking oh by God. me, I was just like, "You stealthy <laughs> son of a bitch!" That would give me such anxiety. I was, yeah. yeah, I had a lot of anxiety about that, so I didn't really enjoy this day that much. Um, but it's been cool. And then, other than that, I've been playing a lot of um, uh, Trails of Cold Steel. Um, oh, what is uh, that? Legend of Heroes. It's a it's a JRPG that. We will talk a lot more about. <laughs> yeah, it seems probably this, in the next episode. I think it has all the telltale signs of a JRPG, like just the title alone. <laughs> yeah, it's. We'll get into it for sure. But uh, yeah, so I think we're all caught up now. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we have Zed here, uh, we obviously we love him, but we brought him him here not just to talk about One Punch Man and uh, our love for mm-hmm. uh, losing cats and then finding yeah. them. Uh, I put out a feeler for uh, future guests of the podcast. That's blew new. up. It, uh, yeah, we got, yeah, got, well, you got blew of, up. You got more followers than I do, but I'm like, <laughs> shit, he got 90 likes? My man's about to be crushing it. It got right. ratioed for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of cool people have uh, um, you know, suggested like deep cut animes that they want to come on the podcast and talk about, and thank you for that. Um, a lot of you are white. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> so you might not 
not get on soon, but like <laughs> we had three, to, we got you, baby. <laughs> we had to get Zed on. Zed, your suggestion was perfect blue, and I was like, that is perfect for you, baby. <laughs> um, we can't wait to talk about uh, perfect blue, and I was just like, why don't we just talk about uh, Satoshi Khan in general? I want this to be like an introduction of one of the most influential um, anime directors of all time. I think um, who left us, you know, before his time. Yeah, and also it's crazy how. Uh, influential he is not just to anime but to live action film mm -hmm. and I guess pop culture in, in general but also he was not that prolific which makes it interesting too is he was able to make such an impact uh, with just some of these uh, you know I think he did four features mm -hmm. yeah. and like it's crazy you, you watch them at any point and you're still like this is so innovative and does stuff I think with the medium that mm -hmm. I haven't really seen even since then um, so if you don't know, um, Satoshi Khan, he directed Perfect Blue, which is a cult favorite for a lot of people. He also directed um, Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, and uh, Paprika, which, Paprika, which is his last movie. And he directed a series called Paranoia Agent. If any of those ring a bell, um, you know that they are very um, cerebral, uh, visually stunning, just like explorations of you know, existentialism and um, what it means to just like have your own, uh, you know, personality uh, in a society of people. Um, yeah, they're all very uh, dreamlike, very, dream very surreal dreamlike. And the and, and I'm only familiar with some of his work, but I'm so I'm always so envious of, of artists that can capture imagination in such a unique way. Like watching mm -hmm. his films, you're like. Oh, this is what an imagination would look like if you applied it to like a film, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watched um, a little bit of a uh, Paprika today, and I, and if you've ever seen even a, a bit of Paprika, even just the first five minutes, you'd be like, "Oh, Christopher Nolan saw this movie yes. and then stole <laughs> all of his ideas from it." <laughs> yeah, the same way with um, his first big, big film, uh, Perfect Blue. Like mm -hmm. watching. Aronofsky has his fingerprints all over, or, or, vice, or Satoshi has his fingerprints all over Aronofsky's work. Yeah, I mean, Black Swan, it's it's just such a obvious uh, connection. And it, what's funny to me is, uh, especially with Black Swan, is Perfect Blue is such a better movie. And there's so <laughs> many things I think he tries to do in that movie that just don't work as well mm -hmm. as, uh, yeah, uh, Khan was able to do with Perfect Blue. And it's interesting too, some of these shots, you know, with the medium of anime where you're able to zoom in on someone's arm in one location mm -hmm. and it pulls out and you're in a different place. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so seamless because you don't need to actually shoot in location. Mm -hmm. It's animated. And I think uh, some of the things he's able to pull off, especially in that movie, it's kind of subtle where I've seen uh, criticisms of it where people are like, this does not feel like anime. This could just mm. be a live action movie. Yeah. And I think that's why it's what so a, I hate when people say that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> it's just like, this doesn't feel like a comedy. This is a drama. This is too good to be a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's just so frustrating because I think the more you watch it and the more you pay attention to it, you realize it, maybe it is subtle, but his, mm -hmm. his ability to use the medium is like, it's he blows it out and uses it in ways that no other medium could. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah um, I think... Brody, you sent me this video last night. It was uh, every frame of painting doing mm -hmm. his work. 
which I'll, I'll, I mean, just off the bat, if you don't know what every frame of painting is, it's this really great video essay. I think his name is Tony Zhao, I think might be his name. Yeah. But he does some really great deconstructions and video essays. On Watch film. all of them. There's only maybe like 12 or 15. Yeah, or he, carry, he, does, uh, he does comedy with uh, Edgar Wright. He'll do... Um, like, Action with Jackie Chan. Yeah, he he does he does a very great deep dives on uh, a lot of these films. But mm-hmm. his his uh, deconstruction of for his for Satoshi's work was really great, especially talking mm-hmm. about like animating. And I think there's a there's a sequence where he says that um, Satoshi was like. You know, I don't think I I don't think I would want to do live action because my cuts are too fast. And they compared scenes where it's like like someone's throwing It'd be so expensive. Yeah, yeah right. where someone like a character throws a bag at someone's face and it's six frames, and they do like this is like a live action equivalent, which was like twenty four frames, and like it just feels mm-hmm. so much slower when you're watching these things happen. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, Perfect Blue uh, came out nineteen ninety seven. It's about a um, pop star in Tokyo who transitions to becoming an actress and she has she's like dealing with her internet persona um becoming like skewed and she's dealing with like a um a public uh kind of fallout and she's dealing with a stalker and the whole thing is very dreamlike um you could watch that movie you know five times in a row and you would have different theories each yeah. time uh, because it's told from the main character's perspective. And, uh, you know, one day, <laughs> you know, one scene she could be singing on stage and then she'll be in her apartment, you know, mm-hmm. just like eating. And then like, you'll, you won't even notice the transition. Yeah. That, that's, uh, it definitely reminds me of some of the scenes where you're like, uh, they talked about in that every frame of painting, just how much play you can have with the like messy or like messing with um with structure where like there's a shot of what you think is like a, a bird's eye shot of like characters huddled around like a storefront and then you see like a little piece of piece of spit fall down into someone's face and you realize that it's a POV shot of like a character that's on top of a building <laughs> yeah. looking huh. at something and that's the same thing that with with perfect blue like I have not seen the film in a couple of years but I do remember vividly being like oh wow like we're on a train oh wait we're in the back we're in behind like the theater in the thing and now like oh wait we're back in her apartment while she's getting on the elevator I highly suggest taking acid and watching (laughs) maybe on the fifth time yeah really see Uh, the secrets when did you guys see this movie for the first time I think you know? I I actually th- think I saw it when I was in like middle school, like back when like fucked up. I remember getting it on like Netflix, like <laughs> they mailed you DVDs. Oh yeah, because like uh, like I think I had just gotten into like Akira and like discovered like oh there's anime that's not just people powering up and like shooting blowing up planets, which still fucking watch rocks. That? <laughs> yeah, it sounds lame as fuck. No, but like when you went to Netflix, they would have like recommended list, yeah, and like it was like that and like um. A bunch of like really bad OVAs, but I was like perfect blue. I was like, oh, this is gonna be fucking cool, and it was. But I was also like fifteen, so I could or not even fifteen. I was like twelve, so like uh, I couldn't yeah. really understand what was happening. All besides the fact that I knew that I loved the animation mm-hmm. and I knew I loved the story, but I didn't understand why I enjoyed the story. Yeah, uh, I saw it uh, on Christmas uh, this year, Ooh. Um, or I guess last year. And it's funny, is I remember I saw Paprika in the movie theater in 2006 when I was living in New York City, uh-huh. but I just wasn't familiar with this director. Uh, my girlfriend, Honor, was with her mom like 
basically across the street cooking at this thing. And I was hanging out with Honor's uh, dad. And I was like, let's watch some movies. <laughs> so Hell yeah. I, I put on Perfect Blue because, uh, you know, it's such a, like, well-respected movie. Yeah, yeah. And there were some parts in it where I was like, oh, my God, what does this guy think about me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, probably the, 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 the rape scene where I was just like, this is very uncomfortable. But, yeah. you know, I... And uh, that was my first time seeing it. And Does I Honor's did. dad like anime? Or? I don't think so. <laughs> He's this ain't killing that boy, right? I was just like, uh, "Hey, I'm watching movies today. You want to sit down and watch them with me?" So uh, yeah, I watched that that day, and I was just instant. It's weird how there's some movies where I think if I would have seen this when I was 12, I wouldn't have been able to like kind of get it. Yeah. Uh, just instantly, I'm like, "Oh, this is one of my favorite movies. I just mm-hmm. loved it. Uh, I just instantly thought of all of these." kind of I guess I thought of a lot of live action films like mm. you think of Lynch yeah, yeah. I think of all these people where it was just interesting where I did not think of necessarily other anime mm-hmm. when I saw it and uh, it, just real quick what you guys were talking about just that disorienting feel as an audience member when you're watching Perfect Blue where you're not sure if you're on set mm-hmm. if you're in a dream whatever mm-hmm. what's so interesting about that is not only is that disorienting uh, to us but the protagonist, she becomes just as confused by what reality is in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. So that is such a kind of immersive way to make us not just see what's happening, but also feel this uncertainty that she is as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he does that in a lot of his movies and I guess with Paranoid Agent, just this weird thing where what is your identity when there's multiple realities, whether it's dreams uh, like acting in something, mm-hmm. uh, a story, whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's interesting to see how people play differently uh, depending on which version of themselves they are in. I think we can all relate to that, um, especially with you know Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Facebook. Yeah. It's like, who am I? Yeah, <laughs> am well, I here to talk shit or am I here to post memes? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, first of all, I'm here for all those memes, even those hot, hot memes. But also, it, it also uh, Perfect Blue plays into a thing that I've been really interested in lately is like just the idea of like parasocial relationships. Do you guys know what that what that is? That parasocial relationships? Mm-hmm. No. So it's basically uh, the, the 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 idea is that I mean, I'm that a dating app for people who are into umbrellas. They're parasocial relationships. <laughs> yeah, they're French. They have like cute little like black and white stripes. That was a that was a great joke. Word. I love that. One. Thank I you so much. Yeah. I'm just visualizing. If it you right love now, just yeah. like that, subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, we don't have a Patreon yet. <laughs> we will. Come on, baby. You guys got to make umbrellas. Yeah, that'll be the first thing. Yeah, that'll be our. <laughs> yeah, like the little Morton Salt girl. It'll be Birdie with like yeah. me pulling down this pants. I'm a little doggy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I know, but the, I the, the premise is that uh, I think the easiest one to one ratio would be like podcasting so like imagine like you love how did this get made so you listen to it every week you listen you have these people you have Paul Shear in your ear five hours a week so you just think that you have a relationship with this person mm-hmm. because they are in your head mm-hmm. much in the same way that um, the protagonist for Perfect Blue like uh, her stalker thought that she was part of her life because mm. she was like listening and she ingested her content a lot and when it comes to like nowadays like we all have some sort of like parasocial relationship or people like doing that to us like we all make rounds on podcasts. We mm-hmm. we're, not, we're not super famous, but like people think that they have, they have more intimate relationships with us necessarily than we have with them. If that makes sense, that's actually a really good 
example because I used to listen to um, How Did This Get Made a lot and then I tweeted at Paul Schur one time and then he didn't respond and then I, <laughs> I stopped listening for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> Why would my friend not reply to me? Yeah. I'm done supporting my friend's podcast. Yeah, yeah come on, Paul. <laughs> but yeah, that just jumped out to me as very interesting seeing, um, I think one, just because it's the like a, an older analog take is like, this, this, like the power of parasocial relationships also playing into the fact that this character is having a breakdown throughout the entire yeah. uh, um, series and not really understand. Well, there's almost like two parallel breakdowns, like the, the, the singer's breakdown and like her stalker's breakdown. And like mm. when those worlds sort of intertwine, like I'm having, I think there's a scene where like, isn't there a scene where like the uh, protagonist like, has like a vision of like a dead body and then there's like a, a fade into her performing in front of like cameras and stuff. Is that, is that from that? From that Perfect sounds Blue? familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Like just that, that whole thing is just so surreal, but also uh, now that I'm older thinking back onto it being like, Oh wow, this is like some powerful stuff that they're doing. In yeah. This, in That's this how I feel job. when I perform comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what if all these people were dead? <laughs> What's interesting is I guess there's that movie that came out uh, two years ago now called uh, Ingrid goes West. Oh, whole, I haven't seen that. But, but the, whole, oh, yeah, yeah. It, the whole thing is she has what you're describing, but mm. it's with on Instagram via like an influencer. Mm. And she kind of feels like she's friends with her, but she starts stalking her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, what's so interesting about this is when Perfect Blue got made, the internet, like it's in the movie, but yeah. it's very um, early on. So you yeah. have like. Kinda, it's 1997. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny that even if I saw this when I was younger, it's not only would I not get it because I didn't have enough life experience, I didn't understand what mm-hmm. was going on, yeah. but also now this movie is almost more relatable because the internet and social media is such a bigger part of our life mm-hmm. yeah. that this stalker, while be it is like really wild, it, it kind of feels like now there's more of that in the way that you're talking about, Cody, mm-hmm. where it's almost more relatable because we know more people who are stalkers, not in a creepy way, yeah. but just because of this relationship you're talking about. So, man, that's so bizarre. Almost like how Philip K. Dick was able to kind of predict all these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect Blue is able to do that uh, via, I guess, like a villain. But now the villain is kind of like something that we experience more. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, I think this is one of those films where I'm the most curious to do a rewatch now that I'm like, an older person who mm-hmm. has like a f- uh, formed life experiences mm-hmm. uh, and just seeing like how we, well it plays out. Cause I did the same thing with Akira. Like that was, I remember mm-hmm. watching that when I was like 10 and be like, this is some great animation. It's really cool. They got laser missiles and shit. But like mm-hmm. I rewatched it recently, maybe like three or four years ago and being like, Oh wow. There's a whole subtext about how bad the government is. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I haven't rewatched it since I quit that, um, that biker gang that I was in. Oh yeah. Yeah. That you post- a, you yeah. did have a pretty dope ass vest though. Yeah. It was pretty cool, but not, I feel like I relate to it more <laughs> <laughs> now. Um, he, he has like a like that the thread that um he uses in perfect blue um those themes like he's been doing that like even before he was directing movies like he was a mangaka too mm. um he did a couple you know famous cult mangas um for example he did a collaboration with uh, uh Mamoru Ishii who is the famous director who created like Ghost in the Shell um oh. And that was called Seraphim 26661336 Wings. Um, very famous. Yeah. Uh, he also made uh, Opus, which was uh, a manga that was about 
a manga author mm. who um, who was you know trying to create a magnum opus, and then right before he can, like the pages of his manga like disappear and get stolen. Oh, that's <laughs> and then, wow. like the manga yeah. is about that. So he's always had these like very introspective. Um, like stories to tell, even though he's always been like a graphic design person. <laughs> that's that's curious you bring that up. Has, has anyone seen uh, the first thing he directed that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure OVAs? Has anyone seen those? Um, I have not seen that. Um, no. <laughs> I'm just very curious to see what like what he brought to it. We're going mean, to get into JoJo. We're definitely going to talk about okay. that. Okay. Yeah, I'm just curious to see like uh, whenever like uh, like. Uh, it's, they're all artists, but like from mm-hmm. somebody that like has a take on something, who has a very mm-hmm. definitive like style, like mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see what bleeds over into that established Me property. Too. Like so it's like when Edgar Wright was going to do Ant Man, I'm like, oh, I wonder what what his take on this is going to be. You know, man, that would have been such a better movie if he did. Uh, right? I'm I right. get I get frustrated when I think about. It. I understand completely. Um, I have not. Yeah, I've not seen that. Uh, I yeah, I watched. I guess the four features he's done: Paranoia Agent, and then the the final short. You just called, watched a couple of them recently, right? Uh, yeah, last night I watched uh, Millennium Actress, and then mm-hmm. today I watched Tokyo uh, Godfathers, which uh, I, I feel like if you are going to dive into his films, I, I would recommend Tokyo Godfathers to watch last, mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. that feels the least. Like, like him. his style. Yeah, and I guess he collaborated. Uh, he was a co-writer and co-director on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's, you get like a, not watered down version of him, but not like a just pure. Right. Uh, it was also based on a novel. Um, okay. Much like Paprika. So, you know, I, I see him doing justice to that. I mean, if he had lived longer, he um, he died in 2000, I think, 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was born in 1963. So his career was getting going when he died of pancreatic cancer. Um, so I, we, I'm sure we would have seen like a much uh, wider body of work. Uh, I'm sure we would have seen like his style evolve even further. But I think we would have also seen some more like mainstreamy stuff like Tokyo Godfathers. And um, you could even make the argument that like millennium actress is a little mainstream, but no, I couldn't say that. It's, well, it's such a complex, um, it, it is in a way, just way of telling yeah. a story. Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of, uh, like a nice, you know, it's basically the story of unrequited love. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's so many weird, interesting choices of which when she's telling her story, you see the people there in the story mm-hmm. and they start in, I mean, mm-hmm. so millennium uh, actress is, um, a movie about a, a woman who, um, who is now an old woman, but she was an actress throughout her, uh, career. And the movie, um, tells the story of this woman's life through the roles that she's played. Oh, that's so, so fucking interesting. It's, it's, oh, it's really crazy. interesting. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing of like seamlessly transitioning between all these roles. But like one moment she'll be an astronaut. One moment she'll be in um, Jedi era Japan. One moment she'll be uh, like fighting in a war or something like that. Um, I haven't personally seen it other than like a couple minutes. I haven't seen the whole movie yet. Oh, it, it's so great. It's also like... Some people say the movie also does this thing where it covers kind of the history, uh, in a broad sense, the history of Japan through these movies she's doing, because mm-hmm. some of them are historical. And like in a weird way, the movie reminded me of a movie like um, Forrest Gump or A Curious mm-hmm. Case of Benjamin Button, where you get this like long form mm-hmm. version of someone's life. But 
This one, I, it's just not cheesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when she's the characters in these movies that you're watching, when she's telling the stories, she's still talking about her life. So these movies, she's in parallel her life at that given moment. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers and there's some twists that you, you might, you know, you're, you're not sure if they're coming and like what's happening. Just such a great movie. And the animation in it is so, so good. Yeah, it's so good. I, I love it. Um, great movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious about Paranoia Agent. That's I remember. Did that air on Toonami? Was that on like Adult Swim? Did they? Air it that was. Uh, it was definitely on Cartoon Network. Is that the one, the one with the kid with the bat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I I only remember snippets of that because um, I think that was coming on right around the time I was like going away to college. It's mm-hmm. so, like I didn't have regular access to like TV and shit. But like, what was the the premise of Paranoia Paranoia Agent? Um, I know that like. By the time he was making it, he had a lot of stories that wouldn't fit in, say, a movie or mm. something like that. So he was like, I'm going to make an anthology series and then like tie them together mm. and like this threat. So essentially, it's an anthology series. Um, the simplest way to put it is that it's about this... Uh, this like kid who's like terrorizing people by skating around and hitting them on the head with a bat. <laughs> but like, it's, it's, it's completely like deeper than that. I think it's just kind of like a thread that like, you know, weaves all these things together, mm-hmm. but it's more, you, you know more about it, I think than I do. Maybe, well, I mean, but. it's one of those things, the less, you know, going into it, the better mm-hmm. each okay, yeah. episode, as you get deeper in, they are self, a lot of them are self-contained uh, stories within the episode, but you know, you know, there's like a season arc mm. and it becomes more and more, uh, I want to say obvious, but also less obvious as you're going forward, what it is about. Mm. Um, I, yeah, it's 13 episodes. So, I mean, you guys are talking about a lot of the series you watch. I find mm-hmm. anime to be a bit intimidating because some of them are like, yeah, so yeah. When you see, when I see yeah. shows that are like 300 episodes or 200 episodes, I'm like, that's a lot of time to put in. Yeah. You know, there's going to be probably more misses than hits when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. But I, when it comes to shows that are like 13, 26, yeah. 32 episodes, I'm like, all right, cool. There's going to be an in and out to this. Yeah. I, uh, I've watched more episodes of One Piece than I think anyone I know, and I don't expect anyone to catch up. <laughs> like, I've, I've been wanting to get in that, but like I see that they have like fucking 900 episodes. I'm like, I, I, there's no way I'm going to get in. I will say a lot of it is worth it. I definitely skip filler, but I'm on episode like, you know, like 400, <laughs> like 77. So like That's I completely so understand episodes. if yeah. you don't. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, uh, yeah, I mean, I hate to keep doing the like, what if he had lived, but I, I could see him trying to do more series just mm-hmm. because of, uh, paranoid agent he's able to do follow so many little threads instead of such a self-contained story where every little piece matters mm-hmm. i mean it, it kind of does in paranoid agent but also it doesn't mm. because there's so many characters um, it's also yeah. just like the atmosphere of all of his movies and shows are so good like if you were to like just to watch the intro to paranoid agent you'd be like this seems like a fun Kind of like I guess this is maybe about like a neighborhood. Like the the <laughs> like the like the theme song is like extremely catchy. Yeah, it's so major. <laughs> I love the theme song. Like I, I know sometimes you want to skip the theme song when you're watching something. Every time I'm just like, nope. Yeah, love well, it. That's when I know that a, a, a theme song slap is when I listen to it every single time. Like I never skipped a Yu Yu Hakusho theme never. song when I watch that. <laughs> We're gonna be talking about that <laughs> theme song a lot. Oh yeah, it's gonna come up a lot. <laughs> Uh, and then also the funny thing about it is it shows there's all these like little specific parts in the theme song while uh you know while it's playing and I noticed not until sometimes episode 12 or 13 I was like oh that's that person. Mm. So uh yeah it just gets better and also they did this weird thing in it 
I guess depending on which version you get, is after the credits, there'd be like a preview to the next episode. And there's a character who would speak in like very figurative language, mm-hmm. kind of being like, the rabbit follows like the, oh, the yeah. fish. And it's it's so bizarre. It kind of reminds me of something like from Twin Peaks. Mm. and Yeah, it's very Twin Peaks. Yeah, it kind of feels like, although I, I hate to say that it's Lynchian, it feels the closest thing I've seen in the anime world uh, for a, a series to something like Twin Peaks. That's an interesting. Um, that's an interesting comparison. I, I, I'm curious to get what your guys's take would be if you're like if you were to put together like a complimentary playlist of like films or TV shows that you think would fall in line with people that would maybe be interested in his work. Like, what do you guys think you'd put together? Like three, three or four shows that you think or movies that complement um, Satoshi Kon. Oh man. Um. <laughs> well, one thing I'll say is uh, on his Wikipedia, it talks about his major influences, and there's three movies in particular he says. Mm-hmm. So I might recommend these only because then you kind of kind of can see where he's coming from, which were uh, Slaughterhouse Five. The 19- oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the yeah, 1972 yeah. adaptation, uh, Kerr Yeah, uh, City of Lost Children uh, from '95, which mm-hmm. is a bizarre French movie, and then I guess he loved Terry Gilliam. That makes sense. Time Bandits Brazil and specifically The Adventures of Baron uh, Munchausen. Uh, What was interesting is, and I guess it kind of plays to why his stuff does feel so different, is he was not a, um, he says he was largely unfamiliar with Japanese cinema. No shit, really. Interesting. The one director that he said he was fond of was uh, Akira Kurosawa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I guess he says that he just, (laughs) he's a guy. Uh, I think he had like one movie or something. Uh, but it's just interesting to see that, and it's like, oh, that is why his stuff. And you see these American filmmakers that are influenced by him, and then mm-hmm. he's influenced by him. It's mm-hmm. just, I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, I will say for me personally, like I enjoyed Inception. Like, yeah, I think if you take a thirty thousand foot view, it starts to get a little bit silly. But to, for me, it seems like the closest American one to one when it comes to like capturing that sort of imagination. Yeah, I definitely see, like I watched, um, when I watched, you know, the first 30 minutes of Paprika, I'm like, oh, uh, Christopher Nolan is a hack. But I mean, like, <laughs> that's not really true. I mean, like, uh, Inception is dope. Um, I would maybe throw in, like, Synecdoche, New York. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. That really makes sense to me. Um, I think that, yeah, especially because that movie, not only do you have, like, the multiple layers of, like, this, like, meta-reality, mm-hmm. but... There is a uh, there's kind of like a grimness to that movie, and I feel like uh, uh, yeah, he really Khan uh, uh, really likes kind of a, a dark perspective on things, mm-hmm. and not in a way that ever feels cheesy or forced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like genuinely dark, even if yeah. on the surface it could be like very bright and bubbly. Yeah, like the theme song in Paranoia Agent, and then you have mm-hmm. an episode. There's there's just this episode where it's these three people who the whole episode are trying to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And that's what the whole episode's about. And it there's like funny kind of clown music behind them while they're doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that pretty much summarizes exactly what you're saying about his style. Um, so yeah, yeah, Snacking in New York, I think that's a, a great choice mm-hmm. for it. I can't wait to get Yusuf Roach on to talk about Paranoia Chat. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious to see Answer my text, dude. <laughs> like, he was the one, who, by the way, who recommended... Uh, Paranoia Agent to me. Cool. Because I talked about how I liked uh, Perfect Blue and Paprika so mm-hmm. much. He's like, oh, you got to see mm-hmm. this. Uh, and, you know, thank you. And I guess mm-hmm. he told me that there was some interview recently. I don't know if it was that recently, but uh, uh, JPEG Mafia did where he was asked his favorite anime of all time. 
I think it was all time. And he said that it was Paranoid Agent. Cool. <laughs> so I was like, that's that's awesome. I got to track that down and rewatch it because I, I, I have no memories of it besides a kid with a big-ass bat just knocking people in the head. But yeah. I'm curious to see. And we'll now get that I know to it when we watched all of them for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'll be a fun, that'll be some, a fun episode to do. Mm-hmm. His, um, so Satoshi Kon's last short um, is only one minute and it's on YouTube. It's called Good Morning. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's just about a girl who is just w- having trouble getting out of bed. <laughs> I love it. I love that short so much. How relatable is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so, so beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It, that's the great word is beautiful. It's also, I think the perfect distillation of like what his style is and like what he's about. Mm-hmm. It's uh, cause it does also play with like reality and like a meta thing where like, you know, it's uh, a girl in her apartment. It's dirty as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets up, like her alarm goes off and like she gets up and there's like an app. It's almost like her ghost version goes, or it's like, this is like Tuesday and this is Wednesday. Like these are the different ways that she does this exact same routine. Mm-hmm. All just sort of shot from like this very intimate thing in her bed, like, or in her, her room with or her apartment, which is also mm-hmm. very intimate. Like we're like, I feel like we're always in like close-ups or mediums for that. Like we don't mm-hmm. really see that much of her life, but like seeing just her going through the routines of like, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm watching the news. I'm drinking my morning milk and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, there are other artists that would make this, I think so much more boring than, mm-hmm. than, than what this is as opposed to his version, which is like very, like, I want to say like ethereal mm-hmm. uh, and like whimsical, but also you can relate to it because most of us do go through those, yeah. those same routines. I've been wanting to make a short that, um, it's kind of similar in concept and, and then I just saw this one and I was just like, well, I, s- I still want to do mine, but like, <laughs> this is time. you can call it Ohio when you get to like the good. state. <laughs> yeah. And I do wonder if there is like kind of like a dark bent on it where this routine and these rituals, since it's the same, like every day, is it kind of this thing he's pointing out, like where we're kind of like locked into the same actions and, mm-hmm. but then there's also this kind of hopeful moment at the end when she looks in the mirror and she says, good morning. Yeah. And you're like, okay, so there is like some optimism here, but yeah, I mean, not to analyze too much of this one minute uh, short, but it is, uh, yeah, like, like you're saying, Cody, like you could see so many people try to show how we repeat the same behavior when we wake up, Mm -hmm. but what draws you in where, yeah, this is almost like, I know you said ethereal, but it's like, it's kind of like this like ghost like whimsy to it. Mm Um, oh man. And, and the tragedy being that that's the last thing that he made mm-hmm. like it's just it's yeah and it sucked too <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, I, I, I was reading into I guess they had started like his final uh, piece uh, dr- yeah do you mind if I start talking about a different one please yeah uh, dream uh, recorder which I guess would have been similar to mm-hmm. uh, paprika and I guess they had made 600 of the 1500 uh, like cells mm. and then he passed away uh, and that was in 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading about it because they say, oh, we were going to try to finish it. And but then they ran out of money. There was the money issue. And then, but different studios were picking it up. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the main issue they're saying now, which maybe it is the money thing, and they're trying to mm-hmm. basically not blame that. But they're saying there is no living director that they feel could, could comfortably yeah. finish his style. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. And 
I, I'm not as familiar with the anime directors, but I'm like thinking of live action. I'm like, no, there's no one like him. Yeah, I can completely understand that. It's a it's a tragedy. Um, a couple of his uh, most famous mangas were also unfinished. Um, and those were because the companies that he worked for ran out of money. And then eventually he settled into uh, working for the company Madhouse, which is, um, you know, pretty famous in the world of anime. Makes some uh, great stuff. Very, you know, thanks to him uh, in, in, in a big part. And uh, he spent, you know, I think he made three of his movies with them, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I, I can't think of a director who, who could either. Um, yeah, well, it's... It's not an animation. No, yeah. I mean, it's interesting too. Uh, I was looking up because when I, when I, when you asked the question of deep cut anime, I was like, does Perfect Blue count? I was looking up. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I, I was looking up these movies because they're so well known within people who know. Mm-hmm. But uh, the box office numbers, it's like so low. Yeah. Like they. Everything I like has low lower box office numbers <laughs> than I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also you're dealing with like it's also an animated movie, but it's also a Japanese animated movie. So like mm-hmm. how big are those releases outside of, mm-hmm. outside of like Asia? Yeah. Especially before, I mean like we're, we're only really seeing anime get popular in America in the last couple years. Yeah. Like the like, idea that I saw Broly, a Dark mm-hmm. Z Broly in a theater is wild. Is crazy. Yeah. Um, and I think it did pretty well. I yeah. think, um, but mm-hmm. like, you know, a lot of us, you know, got into anime with Toonami and it seems like it was like an integral part of growing up. So it seems like, you know, anime has been around for this long time, but it really hasn't been mainstream up until, you know, like we started seeing them on streaming services recently Mm -hmm. until Netflix started like pushing um, these things that have come out. And I think it's really cool. I mean, it it helps our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I think in late May, or is it June? I forget what they announced. Uh, mm-hmm. Neon Genesis Evangelion is going to be on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, yes. And Ooh, boy. cannot wait to do that yeah. episode. And from what I've read, like, it is a very difficult. Uh, have you not seen it? I have not. And I was. Oh, gonna, man. I cannot wait for you to see yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it definitely does become, I'd say, almost impenetrable about halfway through when it's a lot of like. This episode is going to be a character just rewinding the same song for 22 minutes on a train ride. You're like, it's so good. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's it slaps, but it's also like, it's one of those things. If you were to show it, if you were to just like yeah. come into episode 12 yeah. and be like, what the fuck yeah. is going on? Like, why am I watching yeah. this sad boy take a nap and cook ramen? You're like, you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But uh, the fact that like when I w- when that was out, I would have to drive to Best Buy and buy a VHS that had like three episodes on it. Oh wow! And then you're wait, a trooper. And then wait for like another month for the next one to come out. So now that it's on mm-hmm. uh, Netflix is fantastic for me. I've been yeah. to watch that whole show in one day with uh, one of my friends from high school and my friends from high school, and that was one of the best days of my life. Have you guys seen? Uh, have you seen the movies? The the new movies that they've been um, I've seen. I think maybe the first two. Um, I remember they were kind of like coming out when I watched them and then I kind of stopped paying attention because they were like retelling the story and I was just like let me just wait till they're all out Um, so I haven't seen them yet I don't think people like them as much as the original series yeah it it definitely becomes like fan service as you're like this is really weird everyone has a robot part of the original series' charm is like you, you look at it and it's just like this we're, now we're talking about <laughs> Evan Jaley <laughs> and not talking about uh, Perfect Blue, but that's okay. Um, I think there, I think there's kind of a relation in the yes. sense that both uh, put a lot of emphasis on mental health. Yes, yeah, which um, isn't something yeah. that isn't done a lot. I don't mm-hmm. know necessarily in anime, but just in anything, mm-hmm. it, it's not really dissected in the mm-hmm. way that these 
do where it's like art. I don't know, but go on. Yeah, uh, outwardly it looks just like a mecha anime where you know kids are getting giant robots and save the world, um, but it's immediately deeper than that. And then as the show got on, like because of um, you know, like they ran out of like funding and then like <laughs> the, um, the guy who was behind it had like, was going through like a mental breakdown. Like the show gets very weird halfway through and then it ends in a way that is, it's just like completely like poetic and existential. And for a lot of people unsatisfying, but for a lot of other people, just like a cult, just like, just like a cultural, like milestone. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then I guess it's so funny. The reason why I wanted to watch it is the movie that was released right after, mm-hmm. which I guess does actually uh, at, like offer a conclusion to what was happening in the series. Because I guess the final two episodes. Yeah, you can get, you can literally be like, oh, they ran they literally ran out of money for this episode. Yeah, yeah. it's like if you ever played the video game Xeno Gears, it's very simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, uh, so we're about to wrap up, okay. but. Um, uh, before we go, first of all, Zed, thanks for coming on and mm-hmm. like talking. We definitely want to have having you. Me, yeah. We definitely think we should definitely need to come back when we do like deep dives on individual movies. I think it'd be really dope. Yeah. Just to get your perspective. Uh, but before we go, first of all, what are you doing? Wait, where can people find you? And like, where are some like maybe some podcasts of your own that you're making that people could check out if they're into movies? Yeah. You can find me uh, at Zed uh, Cutsinger everywhere, including Letterboxd. Uh, if you, they have there's a lot of anime on there too, uh, but yeah, I love talking about movies. And you can kind of follow my uh, movie, like I guess psychosis. But uh, I have a podcast with, uh, as Brody mentioned, with Steve Hernandez and mm-hmm. Ananezo called Views from the Vista. We see every movie that's playing at the Vista, and we talk about it. Great podcast. I highly suggest yeah. it. Listen to the Black Panther episode or the what episode did you do? I can't remember. I feel like there was. I feel like I did two or three back to back, and Steve got mad. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna wait until I come back. But uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts because I feel like for a lot of like movie podcasts, it can be like we have degrees and we went to film school, but like this one seems very approachable, which I enjoy. Yeah, I did not go to film school. <laughs> uh, all right, well, can they check you? About uh, Brody, I uh, can find me on Twitter or everything else at AYO Brobro, AYO BRO BRO. Dope. I'm on all the social medias at Gay for Zig. Check me out. Oh, yeah. We have our own social media now, which is uh, Dark Weed Pod. Yeah. At on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Uh, find those and uh, keep listening. And when the Patreon comes through, we'll hit you up with that too. <laughs> all right. Peace. Thanks, guys.